0: is to see you flourish as a man in society and in our church. With that, I want Redeemer Church to be known as the church that embraces young men, encourages them, cultivates them into mature men, and then celebrates godly masculinity. It is kind of Sad that a secular psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson has to write, do a video calling out churches to literally put signs in front of their churches that say young men are welcome here. It takes someone who is not a Christian, which usually I, I like one pastor said, I don't really care what Jordan Peterson says, he should just repent and join the church instead of critique the church. But it's true. He said one true thing, and that is it's, it's, there's not many spaces in society where young men are welcome to be young to be men, to be masculine men, godly men. And so I want this church to be that, to push you towards being a man of the king, being what you were made to be. I want to flip the ratio of those that are serving in student ministries. Are, and you, look, you come in on a Wednesday night, men, you know this, it's about 60-40 women to men. And same with our leaders. And same, you go to kids ministry. Alex, do we have more men serving in kids ministry or women? Women. That's right. I would like to see that at least even out. I'd like to see men take the charge in our church. And actually, the stats when it comes to Protestant evangelicals, it's 55% of women go to church and 44% of men. More women than men. And I'd like to see that evened out, if not More men coming to church. Part of the problem is our our the fathers and families of our church just had girls. Pretty much, they just gave birth to a bunch of girls. That's kind of the problem here at Redeemer. But it's still it's a vision. It's a vision. I know that you know that young men today are not doing well. That the devil, the world, the flesh have successfully taken the God given strength of men, which is a threat to any tyrant or evil. And has successfully channeled it towards fruitless pursuits. It's one of the problems we're going to talk about. Young men have lost the knowledge or vision of what it means to be a man. I mean, that's going to be the case when 50% of children, boys today, grow up without a father. They are not taught how to be a man. Young men have lost that, and it's time for us as the church to wake up and to change that and to have an impact in this area. For you as a young man to wake up out of your sleep, to look to God by faith alone, to repent of your sins, to confess your sins that you are weak, and join the church and join the army of the Lord. It's time to fight, to remain steadfast, to not isolate. It's a great time to be a Christian. It's time to rebuild. We need the spirit of Nehemiah. He sees Jerusalem in disarray and he's weeping. But he's like, I must go rebuild that. And I love this. It is daunting when we look at our culture, but I love this quote from Gandalf to Frodo. Frodo says, wish it need not have happened in my time. He's like, why did the ring come to me? Why, Why did this happen in my time? And Gandalf said, And so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And with that, my objective tonight is to give you three aspects of what a godly man is. And so if you're not a Christian, some of this is going to sound foreign to you. And I would want by the end of the night that you join, that you join the club, that you join Christ's army. And so the three aspects we're going to look at, three different sermons. The last one's kind of be, going to be shorter and we're going to be more practical. But I want to look at that a man, of a, a man of the king is one who is a soldier, a pilgrim, and a brother. A soldier, a pilgrim, and a brother. And I want to give you those three paradigms. to think when you wake up in the morning, you're like, who am I? What has God made me to be? So with that, let me pray and we'll hop into the first one. Father God, thank you so much for these young men, I'm, I'm, so, um, I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm so thankful for them. You love them. You care for them. They are made in your image. They're to image forth your strength. Um, they're to image forth your um, creativity, uh, Lord, to copy you. Um, and I, I'm just thankful to be here. And I know that I am not the standard at all. We are all weak men looking to our strong savior in need of help. And so, Lord, would you use me to encourage these men not to demean them, not to tear them down, but to build them up. And I pray for those that are weary, that don't want to fight. They don't, they're tired. I pray that tonight would be a shot in the arm for them, that they to live for Christ, to change their trajectory, to give them faith and hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. It was June 6th, 1944, when General Dwight Eisenhower spoke the following words to the thousands who were about to embark on a mission that would change the course of history. Imagine this coming from a general today. Soldiers, sailors, sailors, an airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these, these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hope and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. Our task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year, 1944. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. And I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. And let us us all beseech the blessing of the Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. I mean, wouldn't you want to storm the beaches of Normandy? Man. That day, thousands of men stormed the beaches of Normandy to take back Nazi-occupied France, and thousands of men died. If you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, you got to go watch that movie. You ask your parents for permission and pray that the Lord doesn't give you nightmares. It will put hair on your chest. If you don't have any, it will happen. I've seen a sixth grader go right through puberty like that, watching that movie. That was pretty good. That was not in my notes. Oh, man. Why? Why did they do that? Because they were men gripped by the life-changing belief that the evil and wickedness of the Nazis must be stopped. And that they were set aside as soldiers to stop it. They were soldiers. They were meant to stand in the gap. Right in the gap. In that Great World War. That day was a bloodbath, it was. But it was a victory in the much longer war called World War II. And that victory is said by historians to be the day that the Allied forces won the war. That was the day that the war was won. There. But it wouldn't be until how much longer? How much longer do you guess? Almost 11 months later, to where they would take over Berlin and they would call V Day. Happened May 8th, 1945. So June 6, 1944, they stormed D-Day. They win, pretty much. The, the war was said to be over, but they still had to battle on until May 8, 1945. And for 11 months, those soldiers who survived D-Day would fight a, a hard enemy that would seem to, be, to take back. The Battle of the Bulge was one of those where they made, they tried to take back what was lost, the Nazis did. They fought hard and many would die. And at times, it looked like the enemy might have a chance, but it would end in defeat. So how does this apply to us today? First and foremost, the problem is that all of you are in what I would call a forgotten war. A forgotten war amongst men. We are at war today, right now. Ever since the creation of man, God uh, God has called man to take dominion, to rule, to subdue the earth, to, to rule, to rule, to rule, is pretty much the language in Genesis one twenty six. This has been our job. And the woman was made to share in that task of taking dominion, helping the man to do this, right? But as you know, Satan upended the created order by tempting Eve in order to destroy man to defy God. Adam fails to rule and sin and death now reign, spreading, infecting every man and woman for all of history. The reason why there was a World War II in the first place is because of this great spiritual cosmic war from the very beginning. This corruption upon mankind was not some little blot of work somewhat sinful. No, this was a radical corruption of the human heart and the human nature. Men and women would become slaves to sin. And Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 kind of talks about the effects of sin that I know many of you have felt even in this room. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 summarizes the radical corruption that has taken place. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So it's not that you were mostly dead or 99% dead and 1% living Paul says, and the Holy Spirit through him says that the effects of sin on mankind was that you are spiritually dead to the things of God. That's the problems, that's that's where all the problems stem from. There's no spiritual life, and it says in which you once walked, following the course of the world. Sin has enslaved mankind to follow after its ways. It also says that you were once following the prince of the power of the air our allegiance was to the devil. Those that are born are born in sin, no spiritual life, enslaved to the culture, allegiance to the devil, even if they know it or not. The spirit is now, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out The desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This was the effect of the fall of man. I know you've grew up, many of you grew up in church, you know this stuff, but it's so easy because this war has been going on for so long that we become complacent. The result of death, each and every one of you will die and face judgment and the reason for that is because of sin. It brought death. And those... Who die outside of Christ are sentenced to hell forever where there is justice poured out upon you forever and ever and ever. The radical corruption of man due to his sin is likened to Nazi Germany at the start of World War II. Right, they had complete dominion over Europe. Blitzkrieg, right? And some of you feel that way. Sin coming at you from every single angle, right? That's what has happened. Sin has brought death to everyone exterminating mankind, people dying in their sin. And this is the scene of Genesis three. This is the war from the very beginning. That is until God came walking in the garden to confront sin head on. And in so doing made a promise to Adam and Eve and all their offspring that one day, one day you will have a child. Someone will come from you, Adam and Eve, from your line. One will come who will crush the enemy's head and in so doing will usher in a new kingdom, a new creation that will never die and you will never lose. And this hope is called the good news of the gospel. So we're in we're in a war. Man, we're at war. We have to understand that and God has provided the solution to this war and that is Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And so just to give you a summary of the Bible in 4 minutes, maybe 3. From Genesis three, all the way through the whole Bible is a story of this great battle between Satan's offspring and God's offspring through Adam, the chosen offspring. So you have Cain and you have Abel, right? You have Jacob and you have Esau. You have Egypt, Pharaoh, and you have Moses. And within this war throughout church history, Throughout the Bible, it seems like Satan is going to win every single time, right? Genesis 6, it looks like Satan has owned the whole entire world. The world is rampant with sexual immorality, wickedness, murder, and sin. That God is is sick of it, and he's going to wipe out the whole world. And and Satan's like, yes, I won. And then God chooses who? Noah. (sighs) To start over. He floods the earth and the Noah and his family are called to subdue the earth, to do what Adam failed to do. do. But then after that comes this tower, this tower that men build to erect for their own glory, right? And so it looks like the world, here we go again. They're living for themselves. They're trying to defy God. But what does God do? It says literally he stoops down. The tower was not that tall at all. He has to stoop down and he confuses the people. He scatters them. Seems like Satan has won, but then who does God choose? Abraham. Abraham is a pagan moon worshiper, and God chooses him to be the father of many nations, to be the one from whom Jesus would come, who would be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham wanders through the wilderness, and fast forward, his people grow uh, through the seed, Isaac, and now they're stuck in Egypt, right? God's chosen people are enslaved by the tyrant serpent King Pharaoh, remember? So if you, if you think about Egypt, you, one of their symbols was a, was a snake, right? They would wear it on their head like a turban. It looked like a cobra. It's a picture of Satan's offspring. And so it looks like Satan's winning. All of God's people are there. And for 400 years, they're enslaving God's people. And what's fascinating about the way that king pharaoh does this is how every single tyrant through the history of our world tries to enslave a nation who do they attack who does pharaoh attack first in order to subdue israel you know it who does he go after first the men right he needs to harness them and so he harnesses the men how by enslaving them Right? So he's trying to control them. So he harnesses their strength for evil. It's one of the things that tyrants do. This is really important because this will come throughout the whole entire evening. So he tries to harness their strength, which is meant for God and his glory, but for evil, to build up Egypt. Right? It's like when uh, Babylon took over Jerusalem and they took the best of the youths of Israel and they tried to indoctrinate them. That's Daniel and his friends in Daniel chapter 1. They want to harvest their, harness their strength for evil. It's exactly what Hitler youth was, right? Take the young men and start to train them, to indoctrinate them. It's what, is, uh, it's what radical Islamists do with their young boys is they want to take their strength early on and then harness it for evil. And if that doesn't work, the second thing that Pharaoh does is he tries to pacify them. So he wants to harness them. They can't be harnessed, so he pacifies them. He saps their strength. He has to take their strength away because any man with strength is a threat to his rule. So he tries to sap their strength through hard labor. But the enemy also does this through fruitless pursuits, right? To escape into rather than doing the hard work of fighting. Think of Samson, right? Samson, he's a strong warrior. And how did the Philistines subdue him? A woman. He's a woman, right? Sex free sex is one way that you pacify men. Instead of using their strength to multiply their seed with a family, to take over evil, to fight evil, they waste their strength on pornography, right? It's fruitless. It makes, it doesn't produce anything, right? So, a lot of tyrants, what they wanna do is they wanna pacify men. They either put them to labor, they crush their spirits, they sap their strength, or they give them free sex. It's one way to keep their, them distracted. One another way that men are pacified today is through video games, right? Because they're on mission in a video game. It gives you a mission. You're like, this is great, I get to do it with my friends, but it's fruitless, right? It doesn't produce anything. Perfect way to sap the strength of men, to get them distracted. So he harnesses them, he pacifies them, and then when that doesn't work, he tries to destroy them. He tells the Israelite midwives, I want every single Israelite woman who has a baby boy, I want you to slaughter it. I want you to kill it. And I love the, the Hebrew Israelite women because they're so much more godly than I am. They totally resist and they lie to Pharaoh and they, 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 they save the babies and God blesses them <laughs> for it. And so what Pharaoh does, he says, okay, every baby that's one to two years old throw them into the Nile, male, destroy the men. Why? Because from a man, one will come, who is a man, to crush the head of the serpent, to crush the enemy. And so Satan is trying to destroy the godly line, right? Like all tyrants are trying to do, to subdue men that have strength. And so at the end of the Old Testament, God's people, again, they reject God. They're banished from the land. They have forsaken God, but God has not forsaken them. He still preserves a remnant from the seed or offspring of Adam and Eve, Abraham and David, one who will come to bring ultimate victory. And we know who that is. 400 years later, Galatians four, 4 when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. So Jesus is sent. And this is the good news for all of you men. I just did all that, that backstory. It's important. But if you're gonna hear anything, you need to know this. That the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did so by dying on a cross. And Satan looked like he won. It was Satan's cross. Satan's like, yes, I killed the the promised Messiah. But it would be to his demise. When three days later, according to the scriptures, Jesus would crush the head of Satan, declare victory over sin, save his bride. He would slay the dragon and get the girl, which is the church. Right? I could have just said that. That's how you summarize the whole Bible right there. Some pastor said that. I love it though. He slays the dragon and he saves the church. That's us. And he declares victory and he calls all people everywhere to believe upon me and be saved. Have your sins forgiven. Have your chains broken. Have your addictions removed. Right? The sins that seem so overpowering in your life right now are no match. For our Savior, he is the great warrior king who fought the battle and won. And he won it in a way that no one expected, not by being lifted up onto a king and being crowned with a gold crown, but being lifted up on a cross and being crowned with the curse of sin, which is thorns for you and me. By grace you have been saved through faith. He did it freely out of love for his sons to make you sons who were once Orphans. That's why. And he says, come to me for free forgiveness, free grace, and be restored to who you are made to be. That's what we all need as young men. If you're gonna hear anything, any message tonight, it's, it's this, that God demonstrated his love toward you and that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. A true man, a real man. What it means to man up is to repent of your sins, and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a real man does. He gives up. He recognizes his weaknesses, and he clings to the strength and power of Jesus Christ, his Savior. Sure, you could go Jocko Willink, discipline yourself, hit the gym, take dominion over your surrounding, clean your room, Get a good job. Make a lot of money. Get the, the girl of your dreams. But that will not cure your greatest need, which is a new heart. You need to be transformed from the inside out. And those things will not make you a man. First John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith... Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is the hope for young men in our church. It starts with the gospel. So if you, I'll give you practicals. We're going to get into practicals, but it has to stop there. Otherwise, it's just self-help garbage. At the end of the day, that's what those guys are on YouTube that we watch. It's just self help garbage without Christ. You could do a little bit of it, but in the end, you'll either become prideful or you'll despair. Prideful, look at me, or I can never live up to that person. Therefore, I'm a failure. You need Jesus Christ. He is your only hope, He is the ultimate man. (laughs) And He didn't drive a truck. And he wasn't married either. You probably did listen to country music though. Just kidding. You need him to change you from the inside out. That's where the radical change starts. When we look to Christ by faith alone, something amazing happens to each and every one of us. And that is that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. We go from being a soldier of the devil... To being a soldier of the king. You go from being a child of the devil to a son of the king. And so this comes to the final part of this sermon, which is this. We saw the problem is the forgotten war. We see the solution, which is Christ. And now let's get to our calling. The king's soldiers. God's men, young men, his sons are to be soldiers for him. Jesus is our captive captain. He is our warrior king. Go to Joshua 5, and Joshua sees a a Christophany, which is this angel that, that he bows down and worships. So we know that it's God, it's King Jesus with a sword, and he's about to just slay the Canaanites, right? We like, I like gentle and lowly Jesus. I preach him all the time, but we need a holistic Jesus here. He's also the one that comes on a white horse with a sword dipped in blood, He's not a sissified, fairy, dust-throwing. What does Voddie Bakken call it? A sissified Jesus? No, he's our king and we are his soldiers. So first and foremost, young men, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are fundamentally at the core of who you are, a child of the king. You are a co-heir with him. You are a kingsman. You fly a new banner. You have a new name. You have a new task. What, right? A new mission. And my concern with the men of Redeemer, with you, and generally speaking in the churches in Rockford, is that in rightly believing Christ has won the war, that you have come to believe that it's peacetime and you've laid your sword down. I promise you, the devil is not afraid of a dust covered Bible, said Spurgeon. It is not peacetime, it is wartime. You're like, yes, but we do have peace. Yes, that's, that's true. D Day happened. Jesus had the victory. But there's still this moment of time that we're living right now in between D Day and V Day. Jesus died, He gave the victory, and here we're living, battling on until He comes again. That's V Day, right? And so you've got to have that perspective as men because I think a lot of us have just become passive. We think the war is over, we've stopped fighting. God will just forgive me. So I'm gonna be passive, let go and let God. The victory hasn't been fully realized yet. And so my encouragement to you men is to have a biblical perspective of the already not yet, that's what it's called. We already are saved, we already have eternal life, but we haven't fully realized yet. And so we live in this in between. We need to keep that perspective that we are citizens of heaven, but we still pray Father, your kingdom come and your will be done. In other words, there is still war to be had. And this flows with Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six. Why don't you just turn there in your Bibles if you have them. I know this is more topical than expositional. Next sermon, we'll we'll stay in a a passage, but Ephesians chapter six, Paul has already explained all the victory that Christ has had. He's on the throne, You're, you're sons of the king. But he still calls the men and women in the church to war. And this passage this letter speaks of spiritual warfare more than any other book in the Bible. Ephesians 6:10 through 12. Finally, in light of the gospel, in light of all that Christ has done for you, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's battle language there. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Christian men, we are at war. In fact, one of the leaders came up to me, one of our our dear uh, ladies that is an adult leader over our student ministry. She just came up and told me that she has a a young girl in in her small group, in our church, who has been having dreams of Satan trying to convince her to leave the faith happening in our church. And you're going to tell me demons aren't real. That's spiritual warfare. Many of you have been, have been tempted by, oppressed by, spiritual warfare. We are at war. It's not time to slumber. It's not time to be asleep. God's spiritual soldiers are to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to war like he warred. (laughs) I love what Spurgeon says this. He says this, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of my favorite, old 1800s favorite favorite preachers. I don't know if some of you may not know that name. I'm gonna quote him a lot. Because a lot of this comes from him. He says this, a church should be a camp of soldiers, not a hospital of invalids. But there is exceedingly much difference between what ought to be and what is. And consequently, many of God's people are in so sad a state that the very fittest prayer for them is for revival. (laughs) He's like, we're meant to be soldiers, to soldier on, to war on. And so what does that look like practically? What are the hallmarks of soldiers of the king? Okay, and I got seven, seven things. So this is where we're getting practical here. So if you wanna take notes on your phone, That's fine, or right on your chest. Some of you that are shirtless, you could do that. You could take notes of your arm. First, first thing you need to understand this. God's soldiers are ordinary, ordinary, weak men. God uses weak men. The men who stormed the beaches of Normandy, who were they? They were teachers. They were high school students. Some were accountants, tradesmen, plumbers, electricians, businessmen, athletes, just the -the run-of-the-mill normal people. Who were Jesus' disciples? Fishermen. Blue-collar workers. Go down to Woodward, right? Go pick out 12 guys. Collins Aerospace. Whatever, just go pick out... 12 blue-collar workers or maybe some, you know, go to your retail store that no one cares about. Go pick 12 random guys. That's who God picks. Ordinary weak men. Why? To show off his glory and his strength. And so sorry to burst your bubble, but we are not that special. (laughs) We are not. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that God uses weak men to do his mission. I am not the standard. I am just as weak as you. I wake up every day having to battle my own sin, just like you. And I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. He says this, for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, and so that no human might, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is good news, my friends, that Jesus came not to save the righteous or the strong, or the powerful, or the mighty. He came for the weak, the needy, the sinner to save. And that's all of us. So we have to start there. When we are weak, he is strong. Second, second, being a soldier of the king means that you have a mission, a new mission. You have the greatest purpose ever to live on this planet. I love what Spurgeon says. This is important. He says, the devil never tempted a man whom he found judiciously employed. The devil is not going after people that are employed in in, that are working hard, that are doing, that are at work, in other words. Idle hands are the devil's playground, right? He's looking for men who are isolated, who are not on mission. And so what is your mission? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's that simple. Was that not Jesus' mission? His mission, number one, was to glorify God, his father, to do his will. And his road led to the cross. And Jesus didn't turn left or right. He went straight for that cross, fulfilling his mission from before the foundation of the world, no matter the cost. In all that you do, young men, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Right? The soldiers at D-Day had a mission. You've seen Band of Brothers. What brings those brothers together? A mission. What brings the fellowship and the Lord of the Rings together? A mission. Right? What brings the church together? A mission. We have a mission. And that is to glorify God in all that we do. Your mission is not necessarily to go and find a wife. Some of the problem is that you've made a wife, a girl, your mission. But guess what? She is not meant to carry that sort of weight. You've made her your God you're called to glorify God in three different aspects in your life, at church and at home and at life in life, at work. So think of this, church, what is your mission when you come to church here? Church is your base camp. It's where you come, you get, get filled up, you get your gear, you get some more ammo, right? You get encouraged, you come to serve one another. Then you have your home, your home is your outpost, then your job is your behind enemy lines and you're evangelizing, right? You're you're using your weapons, which is the word of God and prayer, to reach the lost. You have a mission. That's why you were left here. And so when you come to church, where are you serving? Where are you using your strength and your giftedness? Or are you just checking in and then checking out? At home, how are you bringing life? How are you cultivating health to your family? How are you cultivating health to this church? Uh, Are you contributing? You have a mission, right? It's to take ownership of the things that God has given you, to respect and honor your parents, to respect and honor your landlord, to take care of the things that God has given you, to be a steward. And then on, in life, right? Some of you are in sports, some of you are in school, some of you had jobs, right? So what is your mission there? How, you gotta ask yourself, how do I bring God the most glory with my work? It's pretty simple. If you're on a sports team or in school or at a job, you work harder than everyone else. You do your job with excellence. You have a mission for God's glory. Two things that deter men from mission. Video games, we already talked about that. Because it gives you a fake mission. And so maybe part of your mission tonight is you're gonna take your PlayStation, your PlayStation, you could sell it, make some money, make a profit and go buy some bibles or some books, right? <laughs> That's what I would do. At least you need to take ownership. You God has given you a real mission, a real war that you're in. <laughs> Second thing that deters men from their mission is pornography. Because you're, it, 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 you're giving your strength away to virtual reality. In fact, not just virtual reality, but to sex trafficking. That's just what you are doing. The very people that you complain about and say, look how evil our culture is. Look at the transgender rights movement. Look at this. Look at that. Look at the evil you take part in. And you contribute to. Even if you do not pay, you by watching are giving towards the funneling and trafficking of women who are beaten, abused. It's sick. And God has grace for you. He can forgive you. But you have to use those things because it is, it's evil. And you have to see it as evil to kill it. Pornography has taken many future pastors out of the pastorate, many missionaries off the mission field. Instead of doing a video game, why don't you go overseas and do some real work for the king? I don't know. God may be calling you that. to that. We got to think bigger and greater. You only have one life, one life to live for the king. Third, that was my longest one. Third, move towards conflict. I know you love this. You love this, right? In Lord of the Rings, when the Rohirrim show up, right? At the, the battle at, at Minas Tirith, right? And they're overrun. And then they all just go head on. They see the enemy and they just go, they just go straight forward or, or in Braveheart. You've seen that movie. When, when his, they kill his wife and you just see him coming on the, on the horse, right? You're like, he's going straight for the conflict. There's something about that in men that you like that. Right, and, and so we need to move towards conflict when it comes to spiritual things. When you see a brother running away from the faith, we need to move towards them to go and capture them, to get them back. Sometimes, literally, you've got to capture them and bring them back. We need to move towards the conflict. Maybe brothers are having conflict. You need to move towards it, not sweep it under the rug. You need to deal with your sin, not sweep it under the rug. You need to confess your sin. That's how you move towards conflict. You need to use your Bibles. It's your sword, right? Got to use it. Do hard things in life and do them faithfully. Move towards conflict. Four, soldiers are willing to die. They're not afraid of death. Why? Because you, as spiritual soldiers, have to learn how to die every single day to yourself. Five, soldiers listen to instruction. They're teachable. If you read the Proverbs there's so many warnings to young men about taking heed of good counsel, being able to be corrected, listening to instruction, asking an older man, hey, what do you see in me that I need to grow in? In fact, many of you, one of your things that you could do is find an older man that you see has a wife that maybe you want to have like someday and kids that you want to have someday and a job that you have someday and just ask him for some time. Ask him if you could go out and get coffee and ask him questions about how he got those things and he'll probably tell you and maybe you could learn a few things. Listen to instruction. Do not be arrogant. Six, soldiers are others-oriented, right? They're all about fighting for others. So you need to be others-oriented. What if Frodo was like Isildur, wasn't others-minded? The ring would have never been destroyed, right? What if all the superheroes in Marvel were selfish and they didn't want to fight? They don't want to use their strength for the battle. You wouldn't have Marvel and you wouldn't have all these lame Marvel movies that are coming out now. <laughs> she Hulk? Like, what in the world, man? <laughs> yeah. What if Jesus was selfish? Praise God that he wasn't. We wouldn't be here. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to repentance, but the unrighteous, Jesus said. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And so a selfish man says this, I need to find a girl who's right for me. A selfless man says, I need to become the man who can support a woman and a family. The selfish man says, I don't want to go to youth group because it's boring. The selfless man says, I must go there because there's people I need to go and encourage. The selfish man says, yeah, there's not any girls there. I'm not going to go. It's all about me. The selfless man says, you know what? I'm going to go to worship my king. Go to encourage other brothers in the faith. They're thinking about others. Seven, they're watchful and they're prepared. We need to be watchful. Men, we need to keep our heads on a swivel, right? If you knew, if you knew that an intruder was kind of come to your house, okay, it's not even an intruder. Well, I was in one of those uh, uh, toilet papering housing wars. Teeping, thank you. (laughs) It's been so long. I'm 28. Uh, Teepee war, right? I knew some people were coming. I had my airsoft gun ready. I I was up all night. I had the hose out. I was was getting ready for war, right? And if you knew that an intruder was something like, you would be ready. You would be prepared, right? Well, what about spiritually? Have we let our guard down? Uh, I love this quote from Spurgeon. He says, if you will tell me when God permits a Christian to lay aside his armor, it's like, when can I lay aside my armor? I will tell you it's when Satan has left off temptation, Till, until he stops tempting you, then you, could, you gotta keep your armor on. He says, like the old knights in wartime, we must sleep with helmet and breastplate buckled on for the arch deceiver will seize our first unguarded hour to make us his prey. The Lord keep us watchful in all seasons and give us a final escape from the jaw of the lion and the paw of the bear. We need to be watchful. And lastly, you need to join the army. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you need to join Tonight, by doing what every man ought to do, which is repent of your sins and cling to Jesus Christ by faith alone. You need forgiveness. You need strength. Well, that strength is found outside of you, not within you. I mean, that is so opposite of our culture. It's not found within you, it's found outside of you in Christ Jesus. Join the army and then join the fight. It's time for men in this church to be more vigilant, more courageous, to fight sin, to to wake up, to awake, O sleeper, and rise. And so I end with this quote. In the name of the Lord, let us again set up our banner, the royal standard of Jesus the crucified, Let us sound the trumpets joyously and let us march on, not with the trembling footsteps of those who know that they are bent upon an enterprise of evil, but with the gallant bearing of men whose cause is divine, whose warfare is a crusade. Courage, my brethren, behold, the angels of God fly in in our front and lo, the eternal God himself leads our van. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Man, you are made to be a soldier in the Lord's army. We used to sing that as little kids, but it is true. And so that's just my encouragement to you. You are made so, for so much more than what this world has to offer. Use your strength for good. Use your strength for God's glory. Father God, thank you so much for, thank you so much for just these truths, Lord. And I pray that you would raise up a young just a young army of men and Redeemer that love you, that wanna live for you. And Lord, even now, as we just talk about these things, God, I pray that you would bring about change, that we would be like Nehemiah, that when we see the gates are ruined, when we see the cities destroyed, that we would be moved to action. I pray for the brothers in here that are maybe discouraged or maybe they feel out of place or um, they need encouragement. Lord, I pray that they would find that in one another tonight, and especially in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.